Then I invite you to open your Bibles to something I know is sure to 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 9. I want to notice a couple of verses here. <clears throat> Verses 6 and 7 is where we want to start. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, most of us are familiar with this, this passage of Scripture from Corinthians, and it's in the context here of offerings being collected for needs in the church at Jerusalem. And I notice here in verse 7 that there are two kinds of givers. One is the grudging giver. For him, giving is painful. He grieves for the loss of whatever it is that he's giving. He gives because he has to, because of necessity. He feels obligated. He hasn't an excuse, a good excuse for not giving. He may feel forced to give. That's the grudging giver. In Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 17, after Jehoshaphat was became king, it says there that the fear of the Lord fell on the neighbors of Judah during Jehoshaphat's reign. And the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and tribute in silver. The Arabians brought flocks. 7,700 rams and 7,700 he-goats, it says. Now, were they generous people? Were they moved with joy to share with Judah and Jehoshaphat? No, they were moved by fear. And they gave of necessity. So... That's, they'd be an example of grudging givers. I suppose they were disappointed to see those animals going away and all that silver. The other giver is the cheerful giver. And to him, giving is a joy. He's glad for the opportunity. He's eager to do something, a service, a blessing for God's work for others, 
And he does it not for pride or for glory, but for God, not to be seen of men. He would do it not like the wealthy donor in the temple making a display, but giving quietly and often anonymously. In the temple, there were two different chests, I read, for alms. One was for the offerings that were required by Mosaic law. And that was necessary. It wasn't quite a tax, but it was what the law said you give, that good Hebrews would give. And the other was for free will offerings above and beyond what was required. Now all the Jews, all the good Jews, faithful Jews, would put offerings into the first box. Jews both grudging and cheerful. But which group do you think put the most in the second box? I think we would imagine the cheerful givers. And as we're thinking about cheerful givers, the truth of this, for God loveth a cheerful giver, uh, those that give not grudgingly or of necessity, but cheerfully, the truth here applies to more than what happens when the collection plate is passed in our service. Christians owe God more than than money. What makes a cheerful giver? I'd like to notice a couple of characteristics. One is that I've noticed in the scripture that cheerful, cheerful givers belong to God, first of all. I believe it begins a, a cheerful giver has comes to the place where there's an ownership question settled. Who owns the heart? Has the heart, the affection, and loyalty been given to God? Who owns this person? Is he a true servant or bond slave of God as the scripture uses uh, as, the, as the word servant is, actually means in the New Testament. Is he, uh, he, he is a true servant of God, the, uh, the cheerful giver. He's not self-employed, as it were. So if he belongs to God, he pleases God. His heart treasures God. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But if a person lives for self, he pleases himself. And he treasures himself in whatever brings him pleasure. Let me introduce you to uh, an Old Testament character, Amasiah. He is listed among King Jehoshaphat's mighty men. 
who was, this was a list of, of, of his commanders. And there in 2 Chronicles 17 are listed Eliada, Jehozabad, Jehonan, Adna, and our man Amasiah. They were all great men, but there was something that was outstanding about Amasiah that it doesn't mention about the others. And next him, I'm reading in from verse 16, just breaking into the list, and I forget who he had, he had uh, listed Adna just before, and then he said, and next him was Amasiah, the son of Zichri, who willingly offered himself unto the Lord, and with him 200,000 mighty men of valor. He was commander of 200,000 men. Amasiah wasn't drafted into the king's army. He wasn't forced to join. He volunteered for the Lord's service. Now we really don't know anything more about him. But this set him apart from the others, that he willingly offered himself unto the Lord, whatever all that meant uh, in that day and and in his offering there. But it's mentioned in 2 Chronicles 17 and verse 16. So he offered himself to the Lord. We notice something similar about the church in Macedonia uh, in the context of our scripture that we read in uh, 2 Corinthians. This is in the eighth chapter, talking about the Macedonians. And it says that they gave, and we'll look a little later at how, how much they gave, how they gave. But they first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. They first gave their own selves to the Lord. They understood Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So they belonged to God. They were cheerful givers too. And in Hebrews, it says about Jesus in chapter 10, beginning at verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. So if we take out that parenthesis, it just says, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, an offering to God's will. Speaking of Christ and the incarnation, a human body was given to him in which to do God's will. A body given 
and offer to God for God's pleasure, to redeem the lost, to redeem us. And he gave it willingly. And we can see that over and over again in the life of Jesus in the Gospels and through his life and through his crucifixion, trial and crucifixion. He gave himself willingly. The Macedonians understood that they had heard the gospel and they knew the way that Jesus gave himself. They knew the wonderful generosity of Jesus. And Paul wrote, for ye know, this is in 2 Corinthians 8 again, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The heart of a cheerful giver belongs to God. Number one. And the second characteristic is that the heart is willing. The cheerful giver's heart is willing. And we see that also in the Old Testament. Uh, in Exodus, God told Moses there on Mount Sinai that they were to build a tabernacle, a place where they would gather and worship, where he would come to meet them. And God told Moses in chapter 25, verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. So that's what God told Moses. So Moses gathered the people all together to pass on this instruction from God. And this occurs in Exodus 35, and verse 5, and Moses speaking says, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold, silver, and brass. And, and we'll look a little more at what happened there a little later at their response. Well, we see a similar thing in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 8. Again, where, where uh, Paul was writing to the uh, Corinthians about their offering. And he said in verse 12, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. If there first be a willing mind. So <clears throat> there is a willingness in the offering and eagerness. The motivation is not a necessity or that it would be a nice thing to do or that it will be or could be a tax deduction. but the joy of salvation. I am redeemed. The gratefulness for that gift. A love for the Savior. 
He redeemed me. A devotion to God. A willing heart. A heart that is owned by God. Let's uh, think for a few minutes. What do Christians offer cheerfully? And I'll just note three areas that that the Bible speaks about Christians offering uh, cheerfully. One is obedience. Is obedience an offering? Yes, it is an offering. It is us saying, I give up whatever, I do what you want. We're offering ourselves to God, as we saw in Romans 12, the call. Well, in 1 John 3 and verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5 and verse 3, it says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous, but rather God's commandments are kept cheerfully, gladly, not grudgingly or out of necessity, not feeling forced, not grieving at the loss of liberty. In John 14 and verse 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Those are beautiful chapters there. Rich chapters. Jesus teaching John 14, 15 and 16 and his prayer in 17. But he says there, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And in verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And in a couple verses later, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And in John 15, where he speaks of the, uh, the vine and the branches and the relationship with God and communion with God in verse 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And several verses later in verse 14, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now, a marginal follower of the Lord wants to cut corners. He wants to... uh, take shortcuts. He wants to ignore. He is more interested in the least 
that I have to do. A minimal follower. Then there are those that follow more carefully, but they're afraid not to. It's a dutiful following, maybe resentful. I thought of Lot's wife leaving Sodom and not quite keeping up with Lot. But she's afraid. She's afraid to stay back. She doesn't really want to go forward. And she's looking back. And we know what happened there. But there is, and, and Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. And he gave it as a warning. Then there are the cheerful servants. They love the Lord. They obey the Lord willingly. That's one thing we give is our obedience. Another area that we give is service. And that's a challenge to whatever our area an opportunity of service that we do it gladly and we do it with enthusiasm and to do the best, to do it to the best of our ability. In 1 Peter 4, in verse 9, it says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, it doesn't use the word cheerful, but the, uh, the idea would be there that it wouldn't be that it would be with some enthusiasm. And I don't think it would be, I think it would fit well to say, to do it cheerfully. I think that would be uh, scriptural. There's that chapter in Proverbs 31 that talks about a virtuous woman. And she is a willing worker. She's quite a worker. And she is a willing worker. And I think she is a cheerful worker. And, you know, you read that chapter and I get the impression there was never a complaint or murmuring word from her. As she did all those wonderful things for her household and is honored by her family. So service. In the Old Testament, after the uh, exiles uh, returned to Jerusalem in the time of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, the altar was rebuilt and the temple was rebuilt and then finally the, the uh, walls were rebuilt and the leaders were living in Jerusalem and a few people, but most of the Jews lived in the town, in the little towns outside and around Jerusalem. And they decided they needed more people to populate and defend the city. They needed more people inside Jerusalem. And so they decided, we'll have 10% move to, the, to Jerusalem. 
10% of the population outside shall move uh, to, to uh, Jerusalem. And it says in Nehemiah 11, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem, and the rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So there was a certain number, it doesn't say how many, that didn't wait on the lot, but rather they volunteered. We'll serve this way. We'll just, we'll just move into town, into Jerusalem. And their fellow countrymen uh, blessed them for so willingly, cheerfully serving in that way. Romans 12, a few verses, Rome, uh, uh, beginning at verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now the focus here where it mentions cheerfulness is uh, specifically mercy. But God loves cheerful givers, cheerful servants, whether it's prophesying, preaching, teaching, exhorting, encouraging, giving, leading, uh, or compassionate acts to others to do our work cheerfully for the Lord. Paul labored. He worked night and day to earn a living. Now, I know he slept, but it, the way he says it, he, he put in a lot of hours so that he wouldn't have to be supported by church people. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls or lives, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Expressing his, his attitude, his his motivation for ministry and his offering of service on the behalf of the Corinthians and the Thessalonians and the saints at Ephesus and Corinth and other places, everywhere he went. And then uh, gifts and offerings uh, we noticed where 
where a few minutes ago where in the Old Testament where Moses announced to the congregation this uh, there, we're going to build a tabernacle. It wasn't a gym at that point. We're going to build a tabernacle and we need an offering. We need offerings. And so uh, later in that uh, chapter, it says that all the congregation of the children of Israel left Moses. They had just heard this announcement. It was fresh on their minds and hearts. And verse 21 says, and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him up, everyone whose heart was touched and was ready to give willingly, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. So everyone who was stirred to action and had a willing heart brought the Lord's offering to Moses and to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation for all his service and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted and brought all kinds of things. Maybe there were even children carrying things, walking beside their mom or dad as they headed to, to the workers and to Moses to, with their hands and arms loaded with things. And then in the next chapter, there were specially gifted men who were working on the sanctuary and they at one point stopped, left their work and came to Moses and said in verse 5, the people bring much more than enough for the service of, of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And so Moses gave a proclamation and he said, we've got more than enough. Stop, please. We've got, we've got more than we need. Stop. You know, there's many a church and mission program that would be glad for that kind of problem. But they had it there. They had more than enough. The Macedonians that Paul... Uh, was writing to the Corinthians about. I want you to know, he said, how God worked in Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, They were willing of themselves. They were freely willing, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They gave, they were like the widow with the might. They gave more than they could afford, beyond what they could afford. And they gave so joyfully They were poor people. There are many blessings with cheerful giving. Paul, when he was after approaching the end of his life, heading back to Jerusalem, 
and he met with the uh, the leaders from Miletus, I think it was, chapter 20. And he talks to them for a little while. And they knew him as a giving, sacrificing, a joyfully a joyful servant of the Lord. And he said to them, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now there is blessing in receiving. It was in Jerusalem when that Macedonian gift finally got to Jerusalem. There was rejoicing there when that offering arrived. But he said here, there is more in giving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In 2 Corinthians 9, For this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. We noticed that at the beginning. In Proverbs, he that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. And Jesus said in Luke, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. Now, this is a this is a promise of God, but it is not to be a motivation for giving. It is not to be part of a wealth strategy, um, like some health and wealth preachers press this point very much. You put in my offering plate, and God will make you rich. Don't go there. God blesses in many ways. He supplies our needs. And uh, another example in the Old Testament of, of offerings being given was when the temple was being built and for things gathered for it, David was gathering things and he said a similar thing that Moses said, who then is willing, you know, to help out here. And a lot came. And it says that then after they had given it, it says this, then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with perfect heart, they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Willing hearts, generous hearts, great joy. And in 2 Corinthians 9 again, about that Macedonian gift, we keep coming back to that. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. 
Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution or your liberal gift. And for by their and by their prayer for you, which long after you, the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. There was rejoicing in Jerusalem. There was thanksgiving. There were prayers. There was joy we've already seen in Macedonia. And in Jerusalem, where the people received the gift, they thought, thanks be unto God. And in Mas- for, this, for this generous gift. In Macedonia, where the gift sprang from, they said, thanks be unto God that we could give. That's the uh, challenge of our of our message this morning, what is our what is my attitude toward giving? Do we see it as an obligation that's a burden? Do we sometimes resent these pleas for more? Do we resent these? encroachment on my time and do I think why me why not someone else you know those attitudes just sap the cheerfulness out of giving whatever it is we're giving whether it's obedience or service or a monetary offering our attitude and our motive for giving. Well, one, it affects how much we give. It also affects the quality of the gift. God sees that. God measures that. It affects the diligent of our service. It affects others. It affects us. Now, we can't give everything. We can't say yes to everything. We can't say yes to every demand and opportunity. There are reasons to say no. We have to say, we have to remember the obligations that we've already said yes to, things we're responsible for. But let's be sure that our hearts are offered to God and that we're willing servants. And let's, by God's grace, be cheerful givers. Shall we have a closing song?